circuits are busy now. Please try your call later. Zero six five two. All circuits are busy now. Please try your call later. Zero six five two. It seems to me that the story of this pandemic is, as much as anything, a story of the failure of technology. Not just the big healthcare failings or smaller infrastructure glitches like these busy signals I've been getting while trying to make calls for this show, but social technology, the innovations that we built to specialize society and to put distance between us and some of our oldest enemies, sickness, fear, death, those social technologies shrank away in so many places when we needed them most. That is what happened to Tamika Hall, who lost her father to cancer and her grandmother to coronavirus in the same terrible stretch this month. In this lockdown iteration of the TRIP podcast, I'm usually trying to skip around the globe a bit and talk to a handful of people each week, but Tamika's story needs its space. So she's here all alone this episode. It's not just how extraordinary her story is, or how calmly she tells of her hustle to keep her father out of a mass grave in this, the richest city in the richest country on earth. But it's also how many people are going through something like this these days. Our city, New York, is stretched thin as tape. More than 15,000 people have now died of COVID-19 in the five boroughs, disproportionately black and Hispanic, and the way that they have had to die and the things that we have asked of their survivors. Well, may we all be forgiven when it's over. This is Nathan Thornburg, and from Roads and Kingdoms, you're listening to The Trip, The World on Lockdown. My dad's name was Vivian Charles Wesley Hall. He came here to the States and when he was, oh gosh, maybe 14 years old, and his fam- my grandmother, my grandparents, they lived in Harlem, so he pretty much grew up in Harlem. My grandfather was born in Cuba, hopped to Jamaica. From Jamaica, they came to the States. I've seen you've you've made pilgrimages down to Cuba. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in the middle of all of this, I returned on March the 10th, right when all of this started happening, and I had to self-quarantine because I was on an international flight. So it's really just crazy how all of this kind of came together because I was down there. And, um, I think you and I were there at the same time. No actually. way. Actually, you know what? I came back on the 28th of February. I'm right at the end okay. of February. So we left out on March the 7th. And we were going to okay. extend the trip. But as you know, Wi-Fi there is a little crazy. <laughs> Trying to find <laughs> a park with a little card and having to go to a text in the morning to get a new card. And, oh, gosh, I left my passport at the... Yeah, it was... That's a whole other experience. If I never darken the door of an Atexa office looking for a (laughs) Wi-Fi card again in my life, I'll be a happy man. But Um, I still have my Wi-Fi card in the back of my phone. Like like I have to go look for the park. So I would call home and, you know, check in with my mom. And she'd be like, there's going to be a travel ban. Like every time I called, there was some next elevated news. And I'm just like, we weren't hearing any of this when we were over there. Like, I didn't, we, you didn't heard nothing about 
the virus. When we got to the airport, like I was wearing a mask and some people in customs wearing a mask and the airport workers were wearing masks and that was it. Like no one took my temperature. No one was checking to see if I was sick. But it was the same way coming back. They were like, do you have anything mm-hmm. in your suitcase? Did you bring anything back? And I was like, no. Meanwhile, my luggage was like 50 pounds overweight. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't worry about the rum, man. Think about the virus. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, and I, I feel like they are connected. If I didn't have this uh, two bottles of Santiago Once that I had brought back with me, this would be a, a, a much darker moment in my life, man, I think, listen, than it is. I brought office. I brought office rum. My office was already closed, and the stash is here, and it's slowly depleting. I'm just like, <laughs> Don't I, even got, tell them. I got y'all next time. When I go back, I'll, I'll bring more, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a, you know, as a, as a Santiago-rooted person, you will appreciate that this Santiago Once is taking the island by storm. And I think it was Telmari, a friend of mine uh, who's a singer, told me that, you know, it's just... It's like a revelation to all of them because the weather is different out there. The sugar mm-hmm. cane is sweeter. The rum is richer, and they're all going crazy for this stuff. They're putting their maestro, their Havana Club, to the side and going with Santiago 11, and I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I'm on the train with her. All right, so we're getting back into it. You, you come back to New York, and all hell is about to break loose. Just to give you a little insight from the beginning, my dad was diagnosed in early 2018 with stage four gastric cancer. And we knew it was terminal. He went through palliative chemo and, you know, sort of a palliative care regimen. And when he outgrew that, we knew that it was time for hospice. So fast forward to January 2020, after we did a short stint in and out of hospitals, we decided that we would just, it was time to go the hospice route. So I come back and that's when um, the hospice, we started getting the hospice paperwork in order and just trying to develop a schedule. And so while I was home, just trying to make sure that I didn't bring the virus in because I didn't want to bring it to my dad. Um, That next week, like the schools had closed um, or it was the week after that, but as that's happening, we noticed that there was a shift in even trying to get home health aides to come in. So and it's so the, crazy. You would you would think that in home hospice would be somewhat immune from this, but I guess right when when this really just kicked off, everything shut. Well, my thing is um, what I realized is there's no contingency plan when something like this does happen, like across the board because hospitals aren't prepared, um, these type of agencies aren't prepared, and people are afraid to do their job because they're not adequately covered. So, I mean, I get it. Like, I understand the reason for people not wanting to do it, but it's just, what's the contingency plan here? Because there, mm. th- there wasn't one. So gradually, this hospice service just started shrinking down in in front of your eyes. Yep, until it became that um, there were no more, they weren't coming into the home anymore. It was just virtual visits, and he would have to, quote unquote, manage his own care. And I was like, what? So now I'm like, okay, okay, 
okay, so now I have to think. I'm like, so what am I supposed to do? So while that's happening, um, my mom's aunt, who actually is like my grandmother, because my grandmother died when I was young, and it's my grandmother's mm-hmm. sister, she mm-hmm. was 89 years old. And Nana was a very active senior citizen. She was in the casino twice a week, probably, at her senior center every day, you know, hanging out with her friends, mm. like doing her thing independently. She didn't have any pre-existing conditions. She, didn't she have... was out in, in Long Island? No, she's in Rock... she was in Rockaway, which is a Rockaway. hot zone okay. for the virus. Got um, it. So she's living on her own in Rockaway. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, uh, my mom spoke to her maybe two weeks into, give or take two weeks into the self-quarantine. And she kept saying she was tired. She didn't feel well, which isn't like her because, you know, she's pretty active. And then we just noticed a steady decline in how she sounded on the phone. So my mom's first instinct was like, I'm going to go there. And I had to tell her, no, you can't go there. Hmm. I said, because we don't know what's going on. So we were talking to her son, trying to get some headway, and he was just saying, you know, she's not responding. She's just laying here. You know, she's not breathing well. And I was just like, oh, my God, it sounds like she might have it. So now I called her daughter, who lives in California, and I told her she needs to come, like, ASAP. So she got a flight. She came. Next day, we go to the house, and she definitely was not well. So now I'm like, I'm here again in this situation. So I quickly backed out of the house and I just kind of talked to them like from the door. So you were out in Rockaway, came came back and then we're trying to kind of work the phones and get the doctor to get right, her right. at least so, some kind of health care. Mm-hmm. That's another thing that kind of weighs on me because I'm like, I should have stayed like you think of should have, could have, would have. But it really wouldn't have changed the outcome at the end of the day. So it's yeah. like you can't put yourself through that ringer because it wouldn't have changed anything. We later found out that her senior center was largely infected and four of her friends also passed positive from the virus. Two were at home, two, I think two were at home, two were at medical facilities. One was at a rehab center. So that's five, actually. Um, It was a few. It was quite a few. So all these things that made her you know, so remarkable in life, like her active social schedule, her independence, Mm -hmm. her seeking out company of others. That's what, that's what ended up costing her her life. Yep. Yeah. That's like some, it just feels like the, the story of this city, you know, it's like, it is a very sociable city, whether by choice or by Mm -hmm. force Mm -hmm. (laughs) and everybody's with each other. And that is, that has proven our undoing, you know? Yeah. Yep. So now I have to backtrack to my dad. And that Tuesday, I um, made a decision to go and take care, take care of him, like, round the clock. Because now no one's coming in. The nursing supervisor was like, let's try to get him into a facility so that he can get adequate care, you know, round the clock care. Um, we, they wouldn't take him because of the virus. He had, he had ran a fever, which is part Hmm. of the transition out phase and part also part of the cancer because the tumor is like an infection. So the body 
will start to try to fight it, which is where the fever comes from. But then also, it's a symptom, apparently, of of ends of life. So yeah. all these things I learned from this little pamphlet they gave me, which is crazy, by the way. So they gave you a pamphlet that's literally... Yeah. They came to meet me. They're like, okay, we're going to come to the house. So I'm like, okay, good. They're like, but we're not coming upstairs. They're like, you have to meet us downstairs. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I'm laughing, but it's really not funny. Like, that's just an adverse reaction to otherwise. Yeah. But um, what else can you so do? So I go downstairs and right on the corner of 142nd and Frederick Douglass Boulevard, it's myself, the nursing supervisor, the other nurse that was with him, and on the phone was the social worker. So the four of us are having this conversation on the corner and they basically pulled out this book and I think it's called um, Gone From Sight or something. And it basically maps out how the next month to two weeks to few hours are gonna play out. And so it gives you all the details of how the person you're caring for is gonna transition into death. Wow. Mm-hmm. And they just handed to you. They were like, here's the book. They were just like, you know, look through it. It'll give you an idea of what you're dealing with. They're like, you know, start making arrangements, start calling funeral homes and see what you can do as far as getting that covered. And, you know, we'll call you later. And I was like, okay. My goodness. Just <laughs> on the street corner. Yep. Dropped off like a like a package. Um, yep. But let me ask you about the... the you know that process that would have been in this little strange handbook that they'd given you um mm -hmm. you started calling funeral homes trying to figure out how to deal with with arrangements what was that like in in the middle of this pandemic so the first we had a we we had a funeral home that we were um scheduled to work with already um so i called them and i said hey i think it's time you know, my dad is nearing the end. They're giving him, you know, maybe a week to a couple of days. And so that was the first conversation. And this particular funeral home, Benta's, they also cared for my grandparents when they passed. So it's sort of like a family go-to. Mm -hmm. And so the initial conversation was, we are at capacity and we don't, we just don't have the space. And I was like, wait, but what does that mean? I don't, wait, what do you mean you're at I was like, capacity, I don't, like, it didn't compute because I'm like a funeral home at capacity. What does that mean? So they're like, you know, we don't have any space for storage. And the alternative to storage for a lot of these places was the city morgue. <clears throat> now, I don't know if you've seen the city morgue lately. No, ma'am. It's now extended into the parking lot. And there are several big, giant tractor trailer freezers that they're using to store bodies. So the ideal situation is you want to have a funeral home pick up your loved one and be responsible for their body until they, you know, either are cremated or there's a funeral. But right now there are no funerals. It's a 10 person situation with the funeral. And I think you're not allowed to accompany them to the burial site. I think they just take the bodies and they bury it for you and this is at a thing. time when articles were coming out about Hartfield, uh yeah or yep. heart island the, the potter's field the the being the mass being the mass burial site for unclaimed bodies and bodies that couldn't be picked up or bodies that couldn't be processed 
um, or couldn't be held at a funeral home. That's the alternative. Like a friend of mine right now is trying to get her mom out and they give, they've given her a May 1st date. They're like, you have until May 1st to retrieve your person or else we're going to take them to Heart, I- Heart Island. And she's just like, I don't understand what even that means. She's like, I don't, I can't find anyone to take her. They're like, well, like that's, they're just like, all right, well, this is what we have to do. And that's right now just part of the process. And I was like, hell no, this is not what we're doing. I said, first of all, my dad would be mad as shit if he knew that he was with all these people all over the place in some mass grave. I said, no, I we literally called maybe 50 funeral home 50 different funeral homes I spoke to people in New Jersey I called some in Connecticut I called random places in New York City and everyone had the same story that they were at capacity and this was before they relaxed like the crossing state lines for cremation so I was also getting we don't take bodies from New York City so I was getting that commentary too as I was calling out of state my goodness. Mm-hmm. How do you even, I mean, putting 50 calls on anything is is something else. No, it just got exhausting. It just got exhausting. And my boyfriend's like, I'll call for you. Because I, I, it, was, it was so triggering to hear the same thing over and over. Because now I'm like, what the hell are we supposed to do if he dies here? Like, are they even going to come pick him up? Who's picking him up? And where is he going to go? So now aside from when is this going to happen, it's what's going to happen after it happens. So we and we we kept calling them every day because they were like we really can't tell you until the day that it happens. So we would just call every day, and because Bentis is the neighborhood funeral home, we kind of focused on them the most because mm-hmm. we figured since he's from the neighborhood and you know they knew my grandparents, they would do the best to accommodate us. So we just kind of put all our eggs in that basket and we're just hoping for the best. And so we happened to call them the day before. And they were like, you know, it's very possible that we could do this. And, you know, we went through the cost and what the process was going to be. And they're like, okay, you know, give us a call. And we should be okay. So I'm like, okay. And and just so happened the next day was when he passed. Um, that night, he spiked a fever of like at almost 106. And I started to panic a little bit. Hmm. Because I'm like, I don't even know what to do. Like, I don't know what this means. What if something else is going to start happening? And I called the visiting nurse service and I started spazzing on the phone. Because I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I was like, I'm not a nurse. Like, what am I looking for? What's happening? Like, I don't know what's happening. So finally, she's like, okay, we're going to have a visit. I'll call you back. So they call you back. You're on FaceTime and you have to show them, you know, the patient. And you have to do things that they're telling you to do. Like, it's very strange to me. Yeah. It's bizarre. So we did that. And then she's explaining to me, you know, the time is coming near. You know, make sure you do this. You know, make sure to continue to give him his morphine. She's like, we're going to pull back these meds and we're going to up the time on these meds. So now I have to make adjustments in the logbook. So I know that we're not giving him these meds anymore. It's just this. Um and then I didn't really sleep that night. Like, I took a light nap because I felt like I had to sleep with one eye open. Like, I really didn't sleep that much because you're constantly with one eye open. In case you miss something, you don't hear something. I'm like, what if he's choking? I don't know. Yeah. Like, you just, there's no comfort in any of it. Um, And then, like, 5 o'clock that morning, he was, like, 
a little restless. So then I just started, you know, telling him, I said, you know, I'm like, it's okay. You know, just giving him the okay talk and it's fine and like, it's okay to go. You know, because I feel like he was waiting there and I'm telling him, you know, I'm going to be okay. The girls are okay. And just like showing him pictures and trying to, you know, just comfort him into the idea of it's okay for you to go. Go give him his morphine. He settled down a little bit. And then it was time for the virtual call. As I was on the phone giving him his virtual visit is at the exact moment that he passed. From a spiritual aspect, he lives in my grandmother's old apartment. And I felt like my grandmother was there. Like, I could smell her a couple of days before. I know it sounds bizarre, huh. but I know she was definitely in the house. Like, I could smell her. Like, I was in the kitchen, and I went to walk out, and I, it made me turn back around and look. And I was like, okay. So I'm like, it's probably going to happen soon. Like, from a spiritual aspect, because I feel like she definitely was present when this was happening. And so oh, my parents used to say a prayer with me when I was little. And so I said that prayer with my dad. And, um, you know, I'm not a go-to-church person at all. Because while the church is the last place for judgment, that's the first place you go and people judge the shit out of you, regardless of what you come with. That is well put. This talk you gave to him about it being okay to go, was that just from the gut? Was that like instincts on your part? Or was that part of the handbook that they had given you? That this would be something. The handbook tells you that. The handbook mm. tells you that. But the only thing I really took from the handbook is that the person can still hear you to the very last moment. Hmm. So you A, have to be mindful of what you're saying in their presence and B, just keep talking to them. You know, giving them reassurance. So in this this kind of duet between you and him and and as you're you're watching these final moments come how quickly did your mind have to switch to all of the strange particulars of this moment of of the fact that he had died in the middle of the pandemic and now what were you going to do well during the at the as we're on the call we established that this is what happened and so the nurse said to me okay now you have to prepare the body and I was like, for, I was like, what? <laughs> and so I got off the phone. I, I actually hung up the phone and I went and called my mom. And I was just, I told her and I just started to cry and I was like, this is what happened and now I have to do this. I called my mom, I called my boyfriend and I was like, I don't want to do this. Like I was really ready to just pack up and leave because now the, the daughter instinct was kicking in, but then I also still had medical things to do. And so my mom, she talked me through it and you know, they tried to talk me through it, but it really just, I had to just stop for a second and then suck it up. And so you had they to explain that I had to you had to be the child up. first before you could get right. back to being the mortuary, the, mm -hmm. the nurse, mm -hmm. the coroner, all of these things. Mm -hmm. 
And then I had to get instructions on how to tie his jaw up so that it wouldn't gape open because if rigor mortis sets in with the mouth open, they have to break the jaw to shut it. So I had to tie his head with a towel. Um, His nurse's aide, the nurse, so we did have one nurse aide that stuck with us the whole time. He came for four hours a day. Hmm. And when he came, that's when we napped. You know, we would go take a walk, go to the store, whatever. And um, so he had come early that day and he helped us wipe. You know, we we gave him like a wipe down. Mm-hmm. We changed his clothes and we had to straighten him out so that he wouldn't um, set, you know, crooked. My goodness. So that's that's all funeral director work, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you were. But because we didn't know like a time or if they were going to come they told us to do that so that he wouldn't be all out of sorts when they did come and get him. Mm. So you still mm-hmm. didn't have it locked in exactly that the Mm-mm. family mortuary would be able to take care of this. No, it wasn't until we called them when it happened. And they said that um, they there's a strong possibility. They're like, let us, let us get back to you. And then they call me back and they're like, yes, we can take him. So it wasn't until at that moment that it happened that we knew that they were going to take him. It's a, it's a crazy combination of, you know, FaceTime and, and all of the things that we have mm-hmm. in technology in front of us. But this is a very old, this is a very old thing that you went through, you know, that, that, that moment of, of taking care of your father on his deathbed. Um, mm-hmm. I thought about it. It wasn't until I had a conversation with Carly Hustle and she said that to me she's like wow this is horrific and how it played out she's like think of the beauty behind you know this is old school shit like this is how people lived and this is what people used to do and she's like this pandemic is forcing us to do things like grow our own food and birth our own babies and in some instances you know even seeing our loved ones through death and even beyond you know prepping bodies she's like this is what people were doing She's like, so it seems weird because we're in, you know, first world times and modern medicine and technology and all this shit. But at the end of the day, you know, this is life. Like, this is what it was. And before all these things came into play, this is what people were doing. So. Yeah. And what a thing to find, you know, beneath all of that and your job in marketing and like your whole uh, modern existence that you have all of this uh all of this ancient mm-hmm. strength in you, right? And be able to so see crazy. these things I'm through. I'm just like... But the funny part is I am super squeamish, right? So my kids will have a nosebleed. I call my mom. <laughs> I'm like, Ma, somebody's bleeding! You know, calling her to come and see what's the problem. And so the fact that I was even in the trenches in this manner is still super perplexing to me because... I am not the, like I cut my own finger and I passed out <laughs> so from the, the blood. Like you were not ideally cast for this role, but no. But look at no. you. So when they initially said like they were running down the list of things that could happen and what I had to do, I was really just like, "Are you kidding me?" Like I really had to sit with it for a couple hours, and then i was just like man this dude is you i'm and so i said to him i said bro you're really doing the most and he laughed my dad passed a week and a day 
April 16th at 9.45 was time of death. And how are you feeling now? You said you've got this sort of long hangover from all of that exertion and mental and emotional effort. Um, some days are definitely better than others. Um, I still kind of flip in and out of feeling like I have to go there because I have something to do. I'm like, shit, you've been home for too long. You have to go back uptown. Um, I'm still looking for him to FaceTime me. Like, it still hasn't really um, set in yet, I guess. Um, I just know he's not here. So I know it's real, but I think just trying to feel all of that is really being blocked by the fact that I didn't internalize that part when I was taking care of him. So we had to, we just got a cremation date uh, day before yesterday. So he's not going to be cremated until May the 8th. And there's no funeral. Like you can gather, like the wakes and the funerals, it's only allowed, they're, they're allowing a max of 10 people. So he needs to have an ID viewing. So before people go to the crematory, you have to identify if that's, your person, you know, is this your loved one that's going to, that we're taking to the crematory? Yes, that's him, her, whatever. So um, that's going to be the last time I see him on May 7th at 2. I'm going to go and ID him. And then they're going to take him next day to the crematory. And I have to wait to schedule some kind of memorial or something because we can't, we can't do any of those things. So we'll do a memorial service at some point in the near future, but when I, I don't know. What is, what's your vision of what that would look like for him? So my dad was an artist, long time artist. And, um, he, we did a gallery the year before he wanted to do like a gallery showing of his art. I said, okay. So I got a venue. We did a showing. It was great. He had a good time. And then he started, you know, painting more and kind of really getting into his art. So he wanted to do it again this year. My idea for his memorial is going to be a gallery. His ashes will be present. Um, I know my family is like thinking of church and all this stuff, but I'm just like, yeah, we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> you have already expressed yourself well on, on church. Yeah, I'm all the way good on that. Well, listen to me, I I feel like I don't know if this this gallery exhibition is going to be a public thing, but uh, if it is, I I will I will find a way to be there and 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 look at. I will definitely extend an invite. I know the more the merrier. He would be beside himself to know that people from outside were coming and looking at his art and his work. Like he would legit be over the moon. The trip from Luminary Media and Roads and Kingdoms is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg. Theme music by Dan the Automator. Show artwork by Adele Rodriguez. Executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. As a reminder, for the first time in a long time, we are free and available. 
on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. That means that your ratings and your reviews mean more than ever. Please leave a review if you haven't yet. I've been getting great suggestions from everyone about future guests. Thank you. I'm checking them out. Keep them coming at the Trip Podcast on Instagram or contact at roadsandkingdoms.com. We will meet you there.